Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Musings of an Armchair Theologian. We're no longer in the armchair today because I'm doing a little bit of an experiment. I'm back in the uh, sanctuary and just uh, doing some praying and uh, some preparation for Sunday. And I also have a new microphone that I'm testing out to see how the sound is. So I'm hoping that this will work uh, fairly well. So uh, I would definitely encourage you guys to uh, continue in our study. And so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, in the extraneous stuff, just in the basics. So I know we have some questions about Sunday service. So here's the thing. Uh, we're still not going to have a regular Sunday service. So I know that somebody's already sending word out on the grapevine. We're going to be meeting again. We're not yet. Um, now that being said, we don't, the doors aren't locked. We don't keep anybody out. But the reality is that according to the government's uh, suggestions, um, we can only have up to 20 people. And that includes Sandy, myself, and the sound and, and video person. So um, really we're only looking at maybe 15 people that we can put in the building. So um, that number adds up really quick. So if you are thinking about coming uh, on Sunday morning at 1045, then you need to know that there's a chance that you might be number 21 and not be able to come in. Uh, we want to follow the guidelines. So your best chance in, of watching or being a part of the service is to do it at home where you can stay safe um, with your computer and uh, or your internet of, uh, of choice. So I encourage you guys to be thinking about that. Another quick note is so we are going to be changing not this Sunday, but next Sunday, the one that comes after the one from a couple days from now, uh, we will be um, we'll be changing our service times to 10 o'clock. And we'll mention it this Sunday as well, uh, just to remind you guys. We're just going to back it up a little bit um, so that it'll give everybody an opportunity to um, relax a little bit before our Sunday school starts the, um, after the service. So I encourage you guys to be thinking about this, praying about it, and mark it on your calendars. Now, we're going to dive right into this. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of First Peter. We're going to be uh, continuing in our study. Now, as we've talked about in times past, um, we're talking about the, in, the inductive med method of, uh, of, of Bible study. And so in that type of study, there are several things that you want to do, but there's basically three phases. The first phase is just is, um, is gather the facts, just the facts, right? We're just, what does the scripture actually say? Don't uh, add anything to it. Um, the second part is the investigation phase where you dive a little bit deeper. And this is the time where you look at important words. You look at words that are repeated. Um, you're looking at passages that that God has opened up to you that drives things home. If there is a passage of scripture that is um, a quote from a, a previous book, look for that. Um, look in your margins of your study Bible and see the links that are there. That's a time when you want to, to really drill down on the essence and try to, to draw that meaning out. And then the final phase is just the application of it. So um, there are those three phases. It seems easy, but it's much more difficult than it is, and, than, it's, than it seems, because it takes time. And so I'm going to encourage you guys to be looking at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Um, I'm only going to walk you guys through through the first three verses, and then I'm going to let you guys go from there. I'm going to try to keep this video as short as possible, so try to follow along. Feel free to pause the video, go back a little bit. It's a nice thing about having this on video is that you can run it back and watch uh, uh, other parts um, if you've missed something. So if I do speak too quickly, because I oftentimes do, I get excited and I want to just keep rambling, um, and so uh, I encourage you to run it back 
and check it out. So that being said, um, I'm just going to go ahead and start reading in verse uh, 4, and we're going to continue. So we left off at verse 4, and that was the final part. Um, and it says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is a choice and precious stone in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So I'm going to stop right there. I, I don't. I mean, honestly, it, it's almost a shame that I have to stop there because there's just so much um, packed material into this passage that, that you're going to spend, you could spend, again, like with all these passages, you could spend a lifetime just studying these um, these few verses from verse 4 to verse 10, and, and you would still never, ever really fully plumb the depths. But that being said, we want to continue with this study. So starting in verse 4, um, we've, uh, we've, we've looked at some things in the past, some things that are important. Um, so it says here, in coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. So this is a quote that Peter is, is leading up to. It's, um, he's drawing in some allusions that he had, um, talked about in, um, in his sermon in the book of Acts. And there's some words there, like for instance, and I'll put these in the comments, um, but the words lithos in, in Greek means stone. Um, there's another word in here that we, you're going to see um, a little bit later in this about uh, priesthood, um, and that priesthood is an important word. It's higher ketuma. Um, it's a very important word. And then uh, we have another word called electos, which means chosen or elect. These are important words. Um, there's another word that I think is important that goes beyond just the stone, and that's the acrogonois. No, no, oh, I can't pronounce it. It'll definitely be in the notes for you, so you could have it there. But it means cornerstone or capstone. And so Peter is trying to, to begin the process of talking about this, this cornerstone, this living stone, this idea that it was, it was a choice, it was, it was, it was chosen by God, um, and he's definitely linking up some concepts here. Like, for instance, this idea of a living stone. There was tradition, it was tradition, and it was supported in the book of Hebrews as well as in um, parts of the Old Testament about um, the stone that Moses smote to bring water out for the um, Israelites. Um, it, was, it was intimated in the Old Testament, spoken about in Psalms, as well as mentioned in Hebrews, that this stone followed the Israelites. And everybody that studied the Old Testament knows that there are there are typologies of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament individuals that that um, played the role of kinsman redeemer like for instance um, uh, Boaz uh, in this in the story of Ruth um, he was a kinsman redeemer there was also uh, Moses who was a kinsman redeemer he was a redeemer that, that helped to redeem uh, Israel out of bondage there was Joseph and and other characters in the Old Testament that that have that that typology of Jesus Christ um, and brought and brings out that idea of who Jesus was in the Old Testament but there's also items and things like, for instance, the, um, the serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness was also a, a type of Jesus, um, where people would just look up at that, um, that serpent that was lifted up, um, and they would, um, they would be free from the serpents that were coming out of the wilderness and biting them and causing them problems. And so um, th this is the, 
uh, this is the typology that we're talking about. So that living stone is what Peter is connecting to, the, the, the stone where the water flowed out of. And it's that imagery that he's trying to connect his audience to. Now, you probably wouldn't get all that unless you were to do a word study for stone. And so that's why I encourage you to look at the word stone, which is lithos in Greek, and carry it back into the Old Testament and see some of the other areas where stone is used. In fact, Peter was known as, as the rock, which is different than the word stone is, is Petros. And so there's a lot of different words um, that the Bible uses for similar concepts. And so we have this idea of this stone, and we, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Peter is saying without any, any qualms that Jesus is that living stone. And coming to him, Jesus, it's capitalized, him, as to a living stone. He is the living stone, which is rejected by men, talking about the rejection Jesus um, faced as he went to the cross. Um, and so there is no question whatsoever that Peter is talking about. This argument is really a carry-on from what Peter says in chapter 4 in the book of Acts. Um, you can read that on your own in verse 11. Um, there's also some discussion uh, where Peter talks, is drawing from in Psalms uh, 118, um, and Jesus himself uh, brings out his, the own, his own parable in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46, with the idea of being rejected um, by the people. And so Peter is connecting to all these different uh, things and bringing it in and letting us know without a shadow of a doubt we're talking about this idea that Jesus is that living stone. And now he's going to make the connection, right? So we have the connection that, that, that is drawn between Jesus as the living stone to us that are little living stones, right? He's the, he's the ultimate cornerstone, the capstone that is talked about in verse 6. But at the same time, we are also in his image, as, as new creature, new creature, create creatures, and, and, and we are now living stones as well. And look what it says there. It says, and you are living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Listen to that for a minute. We are a holy priesthood. We are a spiritual house. It's a beautiful picture here um, that Peter is drawing that we are we become, as new believers, part of this singular temple that is going to house the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, when um, the tabernacle was first constructed, um, they had a big ceremony. They did um, a consecration of the temple, and the Spirit of God came down. It was very demonstrable, um, a similar thing happened when Solomon inaugurated the first temple and the Spirit of God descended upon that and it was just a great time of jubilation. And so Peter is connecting both to the tabernacle time and to the original first temple that Solomon built when God first came down and dwelt um, a portion of his essence, if you will, into that place. Uh, we know that, that, that no house can contain, no building built by man can, can ever contain the totality of who God is. Um, but it's the idea that it's his house, that dwelling place. And so you have a picture here of a house in which believers, all of us, um, become those, the building stones. And this house, which is another, another Greek word there, which I don't have in your notes. I probably could put it there. Just oikos um, is the name of it. And it gives that illusion of the temple like we're talking about. Um, and all throughout the Old Testament, um, the uh, the house of God, if you will, was always referred to as a house, the temple and the tabernacle. In fact, there are verses that you can um, look look at, like 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 6, and others. Um, in the New Testament, 
Um, the house is clearly defined um, as uh, as a, also being that temple concept in Matthew 21, Matthew 23, um, along with John chapter 2 and, and Acts chapter 7. So you have the idea here that, that Peter is bringing out this understanding of what it means to have a, a, a a church that is God's new temple, which is really the individual believers. And like I mentioned in a previous sermon, and this is so important, it's critical for you guys to understand, every single time the word church is used in the New or the Old Testament, it's always in reference to the congregation, the people, um, never in relation to a building. The building was known as a house um, and a temple, but the church the word church was always used to define the people they gathered. Um, so I think that's an important concept. Um, here, like I said, Peter is clearly identifying the church as God's new temple, the physical temple that's pointing towards the anticipated God's new temple that's going to come down, that new Jerusalem that we see in in, in uh, the book of uh, Revelation, and it's alluded to in some of the other gospels and, and epistles. The idea that that new heaven and new earth that's going to be uh, recreated and, and God's going to have that thing come down and we see the, the beautiful imagery in Revelation. But that's what we're pointing to. So uh, we know that the old temple concept at this point in Peter's writing has become superfluous. It's no longer necessary. And so Peter is trying to draw that information out as well. Um, some of us, when we read this, we might object, especially if we're talking about um, the idea of being a temple, a building, and being priests. Because notice what Peter says, is he says that you are a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Um, so you are to be a holy priesthood and you are to be a spiritual house. And people are like, well, how can we do both? Well, obviously, Peter is trying, trying to intertwine some metaphors here. He doesn't mean we're going to turn into houses physically, but metaphorically we are. We house the Holy Spirit inside us. Now, we know, again, like no, no building built by man can house the totality of the Spirit of God. No individual can hold, hold the totality of, of the Spirit. It's a, it's a foretaste of heaven that God has gifted us with. And Jesus talked about when he ascended into heaven, he said the Holy Spirit would descend and dwell in us. And we've talked about this in the uh, prophet Joel talks about the pouring out of his spirit on the last days. And so we're all part of that. Um, so we are to be God's dwelling place by the spirit and his new priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices. And that's the most important thing is, is we should be offering up spiritual sacrifices. So what does that mean? Um, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you offer up a spiritual sacrifice? And and right off the off the bat, the first thing you do is, well, I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to be honest to people. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to um, say bad words. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. I'm not going to. And you just have all the ticking off the lit litany of, of good goodness, right? But that's not what he's talking about. Being a priesthood is not about living a good life. That's making a sacrifice to God. It's not a sacrifice to say I'm not going to cheat on my spouse or my taxes because if you do that there are consequences for those actions already built into the system regardless of whether or not there are consequences in God's world and there is you know, we're wrong sin is sin and there are consequences for it but there are already things baked into the baked into our system you cheat on your wife or you cheat on your husband and they find out then the divorces happen turmoil comes up it's just it, it, the trust is broken and, and that's a consequence um, you cheat on your taxes they send agents out I mean there, there obviously there are things that are going 
to um, be baked into the system that we can't do anything about. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here. Being a priest and, and offering sacrifice, what a priest would do is they would stand at the front of the temple and they would meet with individuals that were needing to be closer to God. And there was something that was blocking them and they would share and they would be that point person that would say, okay, what you've done is pretty serious, but according to the law, according to the rules, if you will sacrifice a turtle dove and, and a goat, then we can take that before the Lord and the Lord will um, will honor that sacrifice. And so that was part of it. Now, we don't do the sacrifice, sacrificial system anymore. Um, so how do we do this? Part of it is is, is teaching others. It's um, sharing the Word of God. It's living a right life in front of folks, but also being that point person for that unbeliever, that lost person. I was challenged today um, when I was at one of a, a Zoom meeting uh, with a bunch of other pastors, and and the one pa- one pastor pointed out, he said, you know, part of this intentional priesthood living concept that is a challenge for us in this time of quarantine and isolation is is how do we continue to minister? And the first thing that that he asked was, who's your who's your twelve? Where who's your three? You know, every single believer that follows Jesus Christ, that claims to be a part of this this royal priesthood, this holy priesthood, um, that's supposed to offer up sacrifices, ought to have three to twelve people that they are in their sphere of influence that they're either learning from or or teaching people that are there that are helping them draw closer. And I'm telling you, some of those three and some of those twelve do not need to be saved individuals. You know, they need to be people that are seeking because the goal is is to reach out to people know need Jesus and help to draw them in and you don't do that by hitting them over the head with the Bible you do it by drawing them in piece by piece this is what a priesthood is supposed to do is to share the light and love of, of, the, of the Lord to the world that desperately needs it we are the hope bringers we are the light bearers we are the we are the Messiah men and women we are the people from that, that have liberty bestowed upon us and we can give that out. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and I'm giving that authority to you. Now go, therefore, into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are, so we're called to do these things. And if we're not doing them, then we're not doing what God wants us to. And that's why Peter says, we are a holy priesthood. You were born, by again, by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now you're put to work. You're not born again to hold a pew down. You're born again to be able to do the work that God's called you to do. Now, that being said, I'm starting to preach now and not teach, and I apologize. You know, it's an occupational hazard. So as we get back to this, you see that, um, uh, that Peter is trying to bring that out. There's obviously no internal contradiction here. Peter is talking about us as believers living both as, as a literal temple that people come to, as well as priests that, that stand in between God and the people that need it the most. We are to be the inhabitants of, we are being inhabited by the Spirit of God. And so I think this goes really well with verse 9. Now, I'm not going to read verse 9. That's something you're going to have to read on your own. But I encourage you as you read on to verse 10 that you look at what verse 9 has to say in chapter 2 because it goes in tandem and parallel if you will to verse 5 um so starting in verse 6, you see that Peter is, is laying out um, uh, his, his foundation based upon Scripture because he said, for this is contained in Scripture. And then he reads that passage. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. And all of you are like, oh, 
oh, that's so amazing. I know that song, you know, and, and, and maybe you grew up in Sunday school and other times singing that song and you're like, oh, it's wonderful. And then you look in your notes, you say, oh, it comes from Isaiah. Maybe it comes from other areas. And you start to track it down before you know it, you realize, wait a minute, that's not really what it says in the Old Testament. Is Peter paraphrasing here? What's the problem? And then it becomes an issue, right? Where did this quotation come from? So you read it out of Isaiah, and it differs from the quote in Isaiah. Not tremendously, but enough to where like, okay, Peter, you're taking a little liberty here. Now we know that all Scripture is inspired by God. So what does that mean? Um, is, this, is God changing that passage, or is he giving us a different view? Some of these questions I really can't answer for you because I don't have an answer. And anybody says they do, they're lying to you. Because we've been debating over this as theologians for centuries, 2,000 years since it was written. We've been looking at this passage saying, Peter, what do you mean? And Peter's looking at and I'm sure Peter's looking back and saying, well, it's pretty plain. The Holy Spirit told me to write this. This is what I wrote. Deal with it, right? Um, so now we have to parse this out and figure it out. Time, we haven't figured out what it means. Uh, the reality is it's not in the Masoretic texts. It's not um, quoted that way in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, which is the translation that Jesus used. It's the translation that the apostles used. Um, so uh, it's just not in those areas. And people will want to know, where is this from? And this is, this is a, one of those problems where you have to really drill down because it, the, the novice will look at this and say, well, uh, Peter just got it wrong. Well, Peter wrote what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. So we can't just simply say Peter got it wrong. Uh, we need to have a better answer for this. And you say, well, why does this matter, Pastor? This doesn't affect my salvation. No, it doesn't. Once you're accepted as, once you, once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, this doesn't affect your salvation. This doesn't affect where you go to heaven. What this affects is, is our greater and deeper understanding of God's Word. And it may also interfere with another individual's ability to be able to draw closer to God. And this is why it's so very important, because you're going to have people that don't know a lot about Scripture, but they're looking for reasons to reject the authenticity of Scripture, because if they can reject it, then they can reject God. And so they will oftentimes have their pet um, uh, theories. Like, for instance, when you start to witnessing to him about Jesus, they say, well, what about Cain? Where did he get his wife? Um, and they use that to try to trip you up to sort of throw you off the path so that you'll go down this rabbit hole rather than dealing with the consequences of their own sin, and that is heaven or hell. Whether they accept Jesus and is redeemed from that sin or whether they choose to, to not and, and follow the other direction. And so um, sometimes, and I've had a couple people ask me about this. Well, this particular passage, Peter's just making stuff up. There's no scripture that says that. And you're right, there is no scripture that says that specifically. It's not a quote, it's a paraphrase. But Peter is drawing from something um, that I think is important. You see, back in those days, and just like today, the Jewish folks, when they would um, worship, they would read out of the Old Testament, they would read out of the prophets, they would read out of um, uh, the first five books. But they would also have these, these commentaries. And they didn't think the commentaries were inspired by God, but they were very um, well thought out uh, pieces of, of manuscripts that were written by very intelligent rabbis. All the way back from before the days of Jesus up till today, they've had these things. They're called the Targums. And these Targums are collected commentaries 
that the rabbis had put together. And during um, Peter's day, uh, some of the targums that they were reading that gave explanation for some of that was where this quote comes from. Uh, Peter was drawing in on a lot of sources that the Holy Spirit was drawing him in and making him, helping him become the wise um, apostle that he needed to be. And so he was giving us things we needed to have. Now that being said, um, there are a lot of other uh there are a lot of other topics in Isaiah that talk about Jesus being that, that cornerstone. You get these ideas of this stone that's coming in, but there's also another thing that's kind of interesting. And I think when we talk about cornerstones, we as Christians um, that grow up in the Western world, um, we understand what a cornerstone is. We understand that it's the, it's the corner that, that is one of the most important ones that holds a building up. And I know some uh, preachers and teachers have, have tried to take that cornerstone as being that it was something a little bit different. It was in an arch as it goes up uh, where you always have to have that capstone that's right there in the middle of the arch that once you put it in there the weight from one ar- one side of the arch and the other side press in and needs that piece right in the middle to hold it all together and make it tight so it doesn't collapse in on itself and and that would be the case too but there's also something kind of interesting as well is there's a lot of theories that run around about this but that word that's being used and I I'm going to spell it for you. I cannot pronounce it well. It's A-K-R-O-G-O-N-A-I-A-I-O-S. Yeah, you try to you try to pronounce that. Um, and that means cornerstone, which is the way it's translated here. But it also means capstone. And the image that it's giving there in the Greek is not just that whole arch thing, but it even goes a step further. If you remember... Um, during that time period, down in a country not too much further from where Peter was 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 at, um, in a country of Egypt, there was these giant pyramids. In fact, there's this big pyramid that was the Pyramid of Khufu, the Great Pyramids there. That's that, as far as we know, has never housed a single body. Um, that has some amazing features of it, like the whole King's Way and the Queen's Way. You've got um, you've got a very narrow, steep set of stairs that go up uh, to the King's area. You've got a very wide area that goes down into the queen's chamber that um, that oftentimes has that representation representation of heaven and hell and the box that supposedly came it contained the uh, the sarcophagus of the king which there's no evidence has ever been a body or sarcophagus in there um, is the exact same dimensions of the ark of the covenant kind of interesting huh and the fact that um, that building was built but as far as we know from every piece of history that we have going back to the to the earliest dates that we can find there's never been a record of the final stone being placed at the top of that pyramid that capstone that would have been uniquely shaped and fit just for that piece and so there was a lot of talk especially in the first century and beyond um, the idea of linking that that pyramid and you say well how can how can you link those things you have to remember that in Peter's day, um, those pyramids were still there, and they were a lot prettier and a lot newer. Um, in fact, all of those pyramids would have had polished limestone, white polished limestone. And on a clear day, some historians that were coming out of that time frame said that in Palestine, they could look south, and if it was a clear day and the sun was just right, they could see gleam, gleam, glimmers and gleams off of the sides of the pyramid flashing all the way up. I don't know if that was true or not. Maybe that was metaphorical, but you can obviously 
see that those wonders were there even then. And it's amazing how Peter is trying to link all these things together and try to draw in the idea that Jesus is that unique stone that is crafted for that unique position of being the very top, the pinnacle, the head of our church, the head of our salvation. He is he is the one that's the, that, that holds it all together. But, you know, honestly, the metaphor of the capstone of the arches, that works too. A metaphor of a foundation cornerstone, that works too. Um, so Peter was using this, and, and he knew, oh, he may have not, not have known, but the Holy Spirit definitely knew that this passage would be used for years to come in a variety of different ways to draw out the understanding of what that cornerstone of that capstone was, and that that is Jesus Christ, whom we build all of our foundation on. And so that's just the beginning. Now, I know this video went a little longer than we wanted, and I apologize about that, um, but I want to encourage you guys, as you're looking through this, I could go on for another two hours talking about just this small three-verse passage that we read. And to go through the entire passage, I could preach series of sermons on. In fact, I have in times past. Um, but you're trying to draw deeper in your word. You're trying to go deeper in your walk with Christ. And if that's the case, it's on you. Um, we need to be all armchair theologians. We ought to open up God's Word and be able to read it plainly and be able to follow it in a clear study format to understand how we can apply it to our lives. I will be putting some uh, study questions um, at the in the comment section, so I encourage you after the, the video is over, turn it off, turn to your friends um, or your family, whoever's with you, and uh, go over some of these questions and ask them. They're hard questions, and uh, some of them have no right or wrong answer. Some of them are just discussion questions, right? And that's what this is for. The goal here is to draw deeper. The thing is, when it comes to these things, if you are hungry, God will give you what He need, what you need. But you have to be willing to dig deeper. I can only lead you so far. The rest of it is entirely unto you. So I said all that to say this. Um, I encourage you to um, continue in your study as you look deeply into First Peter and figure out how um, this passage can apply to your daily life.